the challenges are just to get structured data from unstructured data. So if you have a whole pile of photos and you don't know what's in them, and maybe you want to then use these to even train a different model, you could use Clarify to label them, or you could use Clarify to then find similar photos, or like a visual search thing where you're using a phone to maybe take a picture of a product and you want to see what is similar to it. So definitely, I would say getting structured, understandable data that computers generally operate on, unstructured data. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Dedicated On Air, where we bring together data experts to share their journey and impart their knowledge. This is Kate Strashny, the founder of Dedicated and the host of Dedicated On Air. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dedicated Show. I'm really excited to talk to Ian Kelk today. He works for Clarify, and we're going to talk about having fun in the AI playground. So this is really going to be a recess in artificial intelligence. We're gonna have some cool demonstrations from Ian in terms of what we can actually do with computer vision. We're gonna talk about how Clarify, we're, we're actually gonna show a couple of demos of Clarify that I think are super cool. I'm gonna go ahead and bring Ian up on our virtual stage here. He, he looks excited to be here. Hey, Ian. Yes, very happy to be here. Welcome Hello. to the Dedicated Show. Great. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yes, absolutely. All right. Where are you based? Let's start with that. I am in Florida. So I am in a part just a little bit west of uh, Palm Beach, Florida. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's a whole lot of horses and airplanes here. The area I'm in is home to the world's biggest equestrian festival in the winter. So every between December and May every year, there's about 6,000 horses that come and everybody competes in horses. And then I also live on an airstrip. So there are airplanes everywhere. But okay. I, I like to joke that it is a little bit out of the... Sometimes we have uh, internet issues. I like to say that we have to load the packets onto the, the alligators here to send them to go and deliver our network information. I call it crocodile up. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's where I am. All right. Okay, I have so many questions now. First of all, airplanes. Does the noise bother you? Do you hear them? Are we going to hear them? You don't hear them that often. Okay. They're, they're, they take off maybe every half hour or so. Some of them are louder than others. It's always very interesting. There's people here with stunt planes. There's people here with helicopters. There's jets. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. We had an okay. Easter thing yesterday where the Easter bunny jumped out of a helicopter, parachuted in. Oh and my God. <laughs> That's actually really good. We had Santa come through on a fire truck last year, but we don't have the Easter bunny jumping out of a helicopter. Literally, the, the guy just looks for any excuse to dress up as a large cartoon character and jump out of a helicopter. And I think it's just his thing. It's what he yeah, likes. Yeah, okay. He's done it as Santa Claus, too. <laughs> and what about the horses? Do you hear the horses? The horses? They talk a lot. They gossip. But they... Yeah. No, they're, they're just uh, everywhere. The, the horse show is about, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes uh, by golf cart. Oh, yeah, everyone has a golf cart here. That's another thing. Okay, that's how you get around, obviously, yeah, right? We have, you get we have monster golf carts. I have ones that... I, I moved here and I was like, okay, I guess I'm part of it now. And I got to a golf cart that's ostensibly for golf, but it has giant monster truck wheels. Oh, that's so cool. So when, when the, did you move to Florida? I came down here because I had family here and I wasn't sure if I was going to stay. And then I ended up getting married here and now I don't have a choice in the matter. So I'm just okay. right now. <laughs> all right. We've got people from all, all around. We've got Oregon here. I am originally, I saw Canada there. I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. We've got Germany, India, and I see Kristen's here. She's from Massachusetts, and she says she's currently downloading and labeling pics of school buses for a computer vision project. So glad you're here, Kristen. This is going to be right up your alley then. All right, just checking in. We've got New Jersey. Oh, I'm in New Jersey. So hello. Good to see you here. 
All right. So, Ian, before we get into computer vision and AI and labeling school buses and labeling other stuff, let's learn a little bit more about you. Besides the fact that the airplanes and the horses, what do you do for work? And tell us a bit about Clarify as well. Sure. So I graduated from the year 2000, which was, as I understand it, about 10 years ago. And I graduated from the University of Toronto in computer science and mathematics. And what was interesting at the time is that I didn't know, not really that big a deal at the time, was that there was a professor at the school named Jeffrey Hinton who was teaching a class on neural networks. But it was one of those elective, not that important classes that wasn't really related to a lot of the key work that people were doing. I didn't end up taking it. And ironically now, that guy, Jeffrey Hinton, is is basically a, a massive figure in the world of deep learning. It was somebody who greatly influenced everything, and he's regarded as one of the forefathers of it. Now, in terms of Clarify, our CEO, Matthew Zeeler, also went to the University of Toronto, and he didn't miss that opportunity. He went some years after I was there, but he studied with Jeffrey Hinton, and he became very interested in neural networks and how to solve things for computer vision, and he ended up creating some very fancy models that won the ImageNet competition in 2013. So ImageNet is this giant online database of computer images, of images that are labeled, and people have contests to see how well their models can identify what's Mm -hmm. in the pictures. And there was a huge improvement in 2012, and then Matthew Zeeler's project, his his models, iterated on that and created an even better model in 2013. And at that point, he had a huge amount of interest from all the tech giants. They were all a race to, to hire him. And he ended up turning them all down and started his own company, which is where Clarify came from. Oh, wow. Awesome. And so it's been growing from there. He, Because he'd won this massive competition, he had a lot of attention. He was able to get some early investors, and that's where we are now. And that was nine years ago now, and uh, a lot has improved even since then. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that competition sounded like it was quite a few years away. I'm sure there's, there's just been so many more updates and progress made. And how did you end up joining Clarify? I had uh, previously worked with our senior vice president, which is Alfredo Ramos. I had worked with him at a number of other companies. And when they needed somebody to had a a wide range of skill sets, including knowledge of machine learning, plus ability to do social media, plus ability to talk well and to create video content, they uh, needed someone like me. So I said yes. And here I am. I've been with the company about a year now. A year. Okay. Yeah. I think probably feels like longer, right? I don't know. Every time I it does simply because of COVID. I feel like I haven't left this room in several years. I, I joked about the 2000s being 10 years ago, but at the same time, I've been in this room for 30 years. So I'm not really sure how time is working anymore. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Every but time I, people ask me, like, was this last year? I'm like, it could have been last year or three years ago. I really can't tell. Like, it's it all starts to blend. All right. Well, that's cool. And so you've been there for a year. Let us know what does Clarify actually do for customers? How does it work? And who are some target users? So Clarify is, the idea is we create machine learning models. Initially, it was all vision. Now we also do NLP. And uh, so that's uh, text processing, natural language processing. And Mm -hmm. our intention is to create like an API, a system, a platform that people can use to very easily write code that then uses our models to generate the results they need. The problem with is creating actual machine learning models can be very difficult, very time consuming. The field is changing constantly and it's very hard for people to keep up with what's going on. If you spend a long time and you work on one model, then you never know within a year, there'll be an even better one coming out. It gets very difficult that unless your focus is on these models, then you're going to be left behind. And that's what continuously happens. And that's why it is fairly important to use 
AI-centric companies that this is all we do. Like, we just do AI. So right. we're not trying to do AI plus solve this problem, AI plus sell this. We're not trying to do all of these different tasks that, that interfere with our ability. We're just basically trying to create a good platform, a good API, and good models. Okay. And that's actually one of the things that does distinguish us from our competitors. Our main competitors are ironically the, the trillion dollar companies. We're at the Amazons, Google. The Amazon, the Google. The Amazon, yeah. Google. The, oh, the Facebook was the Facebook at one point. But large, very large companies. But what we do like to say, which is a good, very good differentiator, is we don't do retail. It isn't If you're a retailer and you come to us to say, we need you to make an app to use your models in order that somebody takes a picture of a shelf and it'll immediately show all the suggestions of things in our store that match the things that you already have. We're not going to then turn around a year later and be like, hey, by the way, we also sell all these things. You can also, why use that original retailer? We'll just buy directly from us. We don't do that. So we we are purely here as an AI company to help you accomplish what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's good to have that focus. So question, do you deal with unstructured data? That's primarily what we deal with. In fact, I don't really see much structure at all at Clarify. Just things flying around, <laughs> random people just getting out. <laughs> data is like our bread and butter. It's, it's what we do. So we deal, with, we deal with images, text, audio, video, and we convert between them. We have new models that just, we'll get to that. But some of, the, yeah. some, some of the most exciting models these days are ones that are multimodal that can that combine these things. So you take a picture and it'll create a caption or it'll take a video and it'll describe what's happening in the video. Or you can watch a video and you say, hey, can you go to the timestamp in this video where that guy is carrying a bucket of paint or something like that? And go, oh, that's at 32 seconds. And Oh, that's so that. cool. I love things like this. This excites me because I do a lot of video editing. Anything that makes my life easier there would be great. Ravid had a question here about unstructured data. So he's asking, what are the two challenges that Clarify solves for when it comes to unstructured data. And obviously there's going to be a lot more than two. So maybe pick two of your favorite challenges that you solve. I would say that the challenges are just to get structured data from unstructured data. So if you have a whole pile of photos and you don't know what's in them, and maybe you want to then use these to even train a different model, you could use Clarify to label them, or you could use Clarify to then find similar photos or like a visual search thing where you're using a phone to maybe take a picture of a product and you want to see what is similar to it. So definitely, I would say getting structured, understandable data that computers generally operate on, unstructured data. And then the other big challenge is to, we find to create a system where people can make easily do that. Because the idea is to take these very complicated things. Have you ever seen pictures of modern large models? They're just insane. Million, literally millions of nodes and connections and everything. And it's a lot to run on a local computer. It's, in fact, it's very difficult. You generally use, need to have data centers to run this stuff. So we're trying to make access to these large models or even smaller models, but simple so that you can simply just call it, instantiate it, call it, run it, and get the results without having to know all the nitty gritty. But also the benefit is that you don't have to worry about keeping them up to date. You don't have to worry like, okay, what's the next greatest model that you need to use? Is this good enough? We're on top of that. We're constantly, we have researchers constantly trying to find the best results for every model. So I, I would say those are the, probably the two big challenges we try to, to solve. One basically getting structured data out of unstructured data and trying to make it easy for our customers. Yeah, I think not having to worry about your model breaking or updating it is probably one of the biggest pluses. Yeah, you'd have to build your own model and all that. And I, I know that's a challenge in itself because they are very complex and not everybody can do this. But the fact that once it's done, you don't have to worry about it and it's already done. You guys provide 
sometimes pre-trained models, some other models. I know we'll, we'll get into that as well. And you have some really great examples that I look forward to seeing. But I love that the client, the users don't have to worry about something breaking or something not working properly because you guys take care of that, right? Yeah, exactly. We worry about all of the, the issues with the models, things like model drift, where over time the models can become less accurate due to mm-hmm. changing conditions based on what it's, it's learning. As well, we are also we also work on bias. Bias is a major issue that I can I think I blocked off a little bit of time with one of your questions to talk about bias, but it's not something that's very easy or obvious to deal with because when it comes to solving questions about bias, you actually get into a bit of a prescriptivism versus descriptivism issue where are we trying to model the real world or are we trying to model an ideal real world? So these are issues that come into it. Yes. I was just talking to my husband about this. It was the idea of uh, fake news in America. And I was, uh, I was reading, an, I think it was some kind of book on computer vision that maybe Pact had sent along to me. And there was a whole section on fake news. And one thing I realized after reading that is, I don't know if we'll ever be in a place where we can detect fake news because half the country thinks one thing is fake news while the other half of the country thinks that's real news. And then the other stuff is fake news because they have this set thing in their mind that they personally believe. So it's just very interesting because we're trying to use AI and sometimes computer vision to detect things, but we have to really be very careful in terms of paying attention to biases and how we sway the decisions and how do we tell the machine if they're right or wrong without imparting our own biases into that. It's, it's interesting you mentioned fake news. I actually just uh, had a research paper accepted on fake news detection or an NLP conference. So it's, it's on written fake news detection. And it was basically analyzing a lot of the modern models. And I found that a lot of the way that fake news detection was currently working was actually more on the style versus the actual entailment, the, whether or not yeah. things are true or false. And it is a challenge, but I would go so far as to say the bigger challenge isn't to detect fake news. The, the bigger challenge is what do we do when we've detected fake news? Because the reaction people have, if they have their own personal biases, if you tell somebody this is fake news, they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> and it's going to get worse because we're now dealing with deep fakes where we have very visible evidence. People are going to see with their eyes that somebody is saying something and then you'll have an algorithm saying, actually, this is a computer generated. This is false. And then the person's going to be like, I don't believe you. So the, yeah. the real question is what happens even when we have laser, like 100% accurate models that are able to identify fake news and able to identify what's wrong, we still have the, the people problem. The only way then you, you deal with it is automate the removal of these things, which then you have issues of censorship. So then it gets, it's, it's an incredibly complicated problem because even yeah. if we do get perfect, perfect fake news detection, then you still have the human element, then you have the free speech element, then people, there's a lot, it's a very nuanced problem. So. It truly is. And I, I just can't wait to see how we deal with this. I think... We might have some stamps, like verification stamps that says this is credible versus everything else might be up in the air and people have to use their oh, judgment. Uh, Add it to the captions, have videos of politicians saying things. Is this real? Is this not? Kristen's asking if she can read that. Do we have, we can send a link after, or if you just tell people what to Google to find it, maybe they can find it like that. Yeah, I can post a link in the chat in one second. I can, well, I'm, I'm still talking. Yeah, about put it. it in the private chat and I'll share it across the, the platforms that we're live streaming to. I think that would be cool if people want to learn more about that. And for now, I'll take the question from Vaishali. Uh, She's asking about the competition that clarifies running for awareness. We're going to get to that in 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I want to save that for last. I'm really excited about this competition. It's going to be really easy to play, really fun, and you'll get your hands 
into computer vision, even if you've not, like I said, trained models before or written code before, I was able to do it. So that should tell you something. I'm not a programmer. So I was able to create, I, I do have pictures of what I did. I was able to upload a picture of a salad that my kids made. And it was able to tell me sort of the ingredients of that salad, but more on that later. All right. So MD Khalid is asking, what, according to you, is the biggest misconception in image recognition technology? What do people believe? I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that computers are able to recognize things that people can't. And while that is changing, things are improving a lot. Most of the time, if you are looking at a picture and you have as much time as you need to really focus and stare at it and really take a look, you're probably going to have the same opinions as any, even the best computer algorithms. It isn't like computer algorithms are able to see things or know things necessarily that a human can't. In fact, humans generally are still a bit better than human, than computer vision in certain situations. The difference where computer vision has a huge advantage is in speed. So if it needs to see something very quickly, because it can obviously scan things much, much faster than a human can, it can also, it doesn't get tired. So that's a major one. For example, if you're trying to, I'm doing a project right now on search and rescue, where we are having helicopters and drones flying around and they're taking pictures of huge swaths of forest. And there'll be thousands of images that have to be scanned trying to find a little person in it. Now, a computer can, whereas a human, obviously, it's going to depend on your state of mind, how tired you are, how much sleep, the lighting, so many different factors. are. Right. But in terms of like things that a computer will be able to see much better than a human, it's not, we're not really quite there yet. In fact, humans can still do things that computer vision can't in levels uh, way above it. And a perfect example is how Tesla has been every year promising that their cars are going to be fully self-driving. And that's just continuing pushing it out, pushing it out with statements like, this is much harder than we thought it would be. And it is. So something that a 16-year-old can get behind the wheel and learn to drive in a matter of days, a computer, they've, however many people Tesla has working on that with millions of cars on the road, they still haven't solved it. So yeah. there are, it is a bit of a balance that computer vision isn't a be-all catch-all. There are limitations. It's great for things where, for repetitive tasks, and especially yes. for monitoring tasks, I would say it's very good for those. Yes. And I remember there was a story of how children like age three and four are, are still a lot better at learning new objects and recognition than AI and computer vision can, can yeah, do. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. It takes, you show a, a child a block and you teach her three times what a block is, she'll be able to find a block almost anywhere where a computer might need. And any type of block, they'll be able to recognize and yeah. So it's yeah, there's, there's sorts of things like that in machine learning where they call it zero shot learning, where, for example, you train a model on horses and you just train lots and lots of horses. And then you communicate to the model, by the way, a zebra is a striped horse, but it's never seen a zebra before. Uh -huh. not to recognize a zebra. Whereas if you take a child and you say, okay, it's, it's a horsey that has stripes on it, they're immediately going to say zebra. They're going to know. Yes, <laughs> exactly like that. That's exactly what they'll say. All right, let's go on over to challenges. So let's say companies. Companies use computer vision or they're starting to really get into it. A lot of them have been using computer vision for quite some time. Some others are, are getting up and running. What are some challenges that organizations are facing, let's say, once they've made the decision that they want to use computer vision for a next number of reasons? What challenges are they facing when they're trying to implement this into their processes? Well, usually what we find is that 
companies see computer vision, they see the sort of things that can be done with computer vision, and they think, okay, we're going to do this ourselves. And they go and they hire a couple people and they, they try to make it work and realize, just as Tesla's finding with self-driving, that it is a much, much bigger problem than it is. it seems initially, because it isn't just a matter of getting it initially working. It's a matter of maintaining the models, keeping them from drifting, because things change over time. Something that might look a certain way one year might not look, if you're recognizing Cars have different models that change over time. If you were, if you trained a model with cars from the 50s versus now, they're going to have difficult. They'll still be able to recognize car, but not as well. Same thing with a bias is a big issue where a lot of the information we get dealing with that are trained models, they're from past, from the past, and there's a lot of obvious biases in human history. I guess I, was, I still was going to get into that in a little bit, but well, I can mention one thing, like a very simple thing. So, how do you deal with bias? It can be very tricky. A perfect example. Estonian or Turkish are languages that do not have gender. There is no he is a doctor, she is a nurse. I didn't is, know that. There's a number of languages. I think maybe Indonesian. I know Estonian because we have an office in Estonia. But okay. um, it becomes a problem. If you want to type in he is a nurse into Google, in a Google Translate, for example, yeah. it will print kind of it is a nurse and that it is understood to be human. That's just the way their language works. <laughs> But then if you want to translate it back, how do you translate it as a nurse, it as a doctor? It has to make decisions based on different ways. And it's complicated because, so here's a perfect example of why bias is a problem. And it's a lot more nuanced than people take it because there are these images of saying, oh, look, if we put it as a doctor, it as a nurse, and it comes out with he is a doctor, she is a nurse. This is a biased model. That's fair. But if I said, okay, what would you do? <laughs> like, how do you want to translate? I'm like, I don't know. She is a doctor. He is a nurse. I'm like, that sounds they. Like they, but then that is a way of dealing with it. They are a doctor. They are a nurse. I but don't if know. You're trying to translate a block of text, and you're. And I you're know. I know. It gets person. It it becomes awkward. They is a way of of dealing with it. What Google has actually done is, if you're translating a single sentence that has a gender non-specific language, it will give you both options. So if you take he is a doctor translated into Turkish or Estonian, take yeah. that and translate it back, it will give you two options. Okay. Now, it'll even say, this is the male version, this is the female version. Oh, okay, cool. That's one way they've handled it, but it becomes a lot more tricky when you've got giant blocks of text when they don't really know how to translate it. Or if it's like a book that you're translating, that's it, it's or, looking awkward where it's broken out into it. Yeah, because it changes the style of the writing if you use yeah. they. Obviously, it can be used, but if you're talking about a person who's got even names in different cultures, you wouldn't necessarily know what, like, I, I see names, I don't always know if it's a male or a female, because I just, I'm not part of that culture. Yeah. Another example that I, I sometimes talk about is the issue with, again, nurses and doctors. So, obviously, we talk about there being a bias. If you do Google image search, you find a lot more uh, female nurses versus uh, male nurses. There are some in there. It becomes down to this prescriptivism versus descriptivism issue, where... Do we want the model to reflect the reality of the world? Because the reality of the world is something like 90% of the nurses in the United States are female. So do we want the model to reflect that? Or do you want to do it 50-50 so that mm. maybe that's a more idealized world? And right. the reason sometimes that can be difficult is if I said to you, okay, Kate, nurses live about 10 years longer than doctors. Why is that? And would you have a, any guess based on what I've talked Most of them are women and women live longer than men. I don't know. Nurses are women, men are doctors, they live longer. This is again- Doctors, I mean, there could be many reasons. That's... Right, but here's the problem is that if you actually remove the issue of gender from models completely, so you just, the only information you have is doctors and nurses, you know about their jobs, you know about their coworkers, you know about their hours, you know about where they work, the basics of that, but you have no knowledge about their genders and then you're told that nurses live longer than doctors, 
you're going to come up with all of these other theories as a model as to what that could be. It might be like, okay, maybe the nurses are spending more time with the patients so that they develop stronger bonds and they're more emotional and the emotions help them carry through life. And they're better where the doctors are visiting patient to patient to patient and they lose connections and that therefore they die early. So yeah. the, the problem is, it's just removing gender completely and pretending it doesn't exist leads to incorrect predictions. Yeah. And that, can be, that is a very specific example. Obviously, there are lots of examples that we wouldn't want to use that for. But I just I'm saying that it's, it is a nuanced problem where it isn't a simple wipe gender and other things off of. Yeah, the, that's just... because you're going to get uh, wrong predictions out of it. As far as other obstacles, would you say that technology is currently at a place where we need it to be for companies to do the stuff they want to do with computer vision? I would say, again, this is leading me back to, again, a little bit of a clarify promotion, but part of the problem we're having now is shortages. And one of the major shortages we're having is with GPUs. And GPUs mm -hmm. are what, what machine learning and AI runs on. So it's created the price of those to be a lot higher and companies that have invested already in the infrastructure of having uh, GPUs and other AI systems already are going to have a much easier time getting it than companies that are just trying to jump up and, and start it from scratch. Okay. So I definitely think that the way to go is to use an AI company. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot harder to, to use it from, to, to create your own. I do think that the technology now is amazing and things are just developing and exploding in ridiculous ways. As recently as 2017, we had a total transition in NLP to these things called transformers. If you were ever paying attention to translation on Google Translate, you'll notice like it got massively better around that time. And yeah. that's because of this. Now we have of ish things with multimodal models that combine uh, both video and images and text and can do descriptions and narration and other things like that. We have uh, in 2020, we had GPT-3, which now can like literally talk and write entire sections of prose that almost sound like a person. There are people, there are interviews available on YouTube where people have submitted queries to, to GPT-3 and then fed it back through like a human appearance avatar. And it's literally an interview with the computer as- Oh my God. So I, I think definitely the, the technology is here and it's only going to get better and it's only going to get faster. And then as it gets better and faster, that also means smaller means portable, which means right. many more use cases can be used inside stores. You could have very small devices, even on, sh on product shelves and store in, and uh, in helicopters for search and rescue. You can have very small self-contained safety monitoring things to make sure that people aren't going into dangerous areas and monitoring who's walking in a certain thing. It's like, oh, that's a human. We had a, yeah. a thing here. Um, there's, I got into this a little bit as well because I saw some tragedies that happened in Florida. One was the building collapse that happened. And I heard about that one, yeah. And then there was more recently, there was a, a woman, a drawbridge went off and uh, went up and a woman was walking on and she fell off the drawbridge. That's crazy. And not knowing anything about AI at the time, I actually was able to use Clarify's system to create a monitoring system for damaged concrete. And it would be able to look through a camera and see any cracks, see any issues. So mm. the idea being you could have it through security cameras and notice if there was any visible damage. And I ran, the, there's a video of a woman walking through the garage, the parking garage of that building that fell. And she's actually, she had a video, she's just waving the camera around like this because she's just looking to, to purchase a condo. But the model is able to pick up all kinds of stuff. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah, I can I can post that. I, I did a video on it. It's about a seven-minute video, but it, it's actually really, yeah. it's, it's quite neat. It's uh, was, was really uh, an impressive thing. Yeah, absolutely. As, as you post that, I wanted to go back to, first of all, you said technology is amazing. I can't wait to play this video for you 10 years from now. 
because I think 10 years from now is going to be so vastly different. And then there will be you saying this technology is amazing. It's like when me saying beepers were amazing back when I had a beeper before cell phones were a thing, right? Oh my God, this is amazing. And then now we have smartphones. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a similar experience 10 years from now. But yeah, share, share that link. So you mentioned there's a shortage of GPUs. And I wanted to ask if you think there's also a shortage of people, like qualified, experienced individuals. This is where it's a little interesting because yes and no. And I, I, I say that no, because there is a lot of interest and there's a lot of people learning this stuff. So okay. there, are, there, are, there are a lot of people coming out of data science. In terms of experience, though, and real knowledge about it, I guess maybe there's obvious, as with any field, there's, there can be a shortage of people who are really good. And the people who do know this stuff very well are very much in demand. And yeah. it is hard to get somebody who really knows their stuff. And I'm doing a, a master's right now in this stuff as well. And I've noticed that a lot of the people coming into the program, there, there are a lot of people who've studied analytics and data mm-hmm. and are not as strong on the programming. It's just, this is just a personal takeaway of mine. It's not yeah. basing this on any statistics, but just my own experience. That that for people who have come from like any kind of a software engineering background, or they usually have a very uh, big advantage in this sort of thing. But we're trying to bridge that gap now by making it so that even if you don't have the software experience, you can still use these models and you can still build things just using the knowledge of basically how they work and clicking around in a portal. Yes, yes, cool. So I think it's a good time for us to go into some of the demos and those in the audience, feel free to keep jumping in with questions. We'll take more questions as time goes on, but I really want to see some of the stuff. So Ian, you ready for demos? By the way, somebody said they do want your link to the video. If you want to share that uh, for now, I'll read a few comments. So Kristen said she came from the statistics side and picking up programming was something that she really needed to focus on. Vaishali just thinks this is awesome. So thanks. Thanks, Vaishali. I think this is awesome too. This is so much fun. I am always learning so much from these sessions. When I first started doing uh, data science, I had the opposite. I came in guns a-blazing knowing programming and then I had to learn all of this early, not early call, but college statistics. I want to be very clear about one thing. In order to register for this, you need to go to clarify.com and uh, there's a login link and that's where you register. There was a slight issue where if you tried to create an account through the new system, it wouldn't work. So you have to create an account through the current system in order to access the new system, but we'll- And I'll make sure I give people the exact links. I'll send links across in a newsletter after this, along with a link to the recording of the session. And there'll be an email coming out to all of my email registrants of Dedicated. If you wanna get on that list, just go to dedicated.com, click on anything, it'll ask you to register. If you scroll enough, you'll find a place to put your email and I'll follow up later today with the right links so you can go in there and play around. But Ian, let me know when you want me to hit. Yeah, no, sure. I'll just talk for a second in here. So this is the main page when you you come here. It's clarify.com slash explore. We're, we're going to have the links and all of the instructions on how to, to create your account and get into this. And this is just a sort of a welcome page. The first giant blue box there is simply a link to a very short teaser video. The middle one is some basic instructions. And the third one is just the Clarify blog with news. And you can, so by clicking on, I think I clicked on models. And then if you hit. Uh, all right. I went to community and then we went to the models page. So these are all the models. Now I'm going to choose the apparel detection one. And it has a whole bunch of default ones here. So this is detected top and pants. It's detected shoes, socks. And now obviously, pause it for a second. Yeah. I really should have. Uh, so one, one of the things that will happen with models in general with these detectors is that they will detect probably more than actually makes any sense. 
-hmm. And what will happen is you need to set a threshold of confidence. So you need to say, okay, I need you to at least be, only show me the stuff you're like 80% sure are actually in the picture. So for this, you've got shoes and it's marked socks. Now, while it's very likely there are socks inside there, I don't know if they appear. So mm -hmm. hit play again. Okay. They actually, yeah. So one of the socks at least disappears as you increase it. I guess it's still, oh, okay. okay now it all the way. It's basically down to knowing that there's pants and shoes. Yeah. Same thing here. I, I left this because hosiery and socks, the same thing. This is glasses and sunglasses, same thing. And then this is just trying your own input. So what I'm doing is I'm going off the, to a second monitor and just dragging in another picture. This yep. is what you would do. You'd hit to try your own input and it shows top and pants and it shows the confidence levels. It's got, it's basically a, absolutely certain about what it's found for, for top and pants. That's essentially what this competition is going to be. Just literally drag some pictures in, try it out and see what sort of predictions you get. And you can hover over these things to see what it's actually finding. I think I did a third one. Yes. Oh, here's a selection. Okay, so now we got a whole bunch of different things that it's found, and you can see it hovering over. I think we could probably do a better job of showing the actual full words of what it's detecting, but most of them are at least readable. But I love how it's really accurate, so I think that's all that matters. It's actually yeah. showing you what's in there, and I can see this being very useful for just quickly recognizing objects, but also for people who have vision problems. If you can well, have this. One of the use cases that this is great for is if you are dealing with any kind of a website that has a lot of pictures and mm -hmm. you need to develop alt text so that it oh, goes, yeah. it's automatically generated alt text mm -hmm. uh, for people with vision problems that are then read by screen readers. So yes. for people who are dealing with sites that might have thousands of pictures, it becomes a monumental task for a person to go through and do it individually. So something like that really does help. Yeah. And actually, that becomes more into it when we get to the, the captioning one. You can okay. show the, the food one. I don't know. Is it just, these are just fun. We can keep these going. This is again, a, another, this is the food model. As you see, it has some very different predictions here. It's got bacon, cheeseburger, beef, cheese, hamburger, bread, but some of them are very low confidence. It certainly gets all of those, correct? It's, it's really trying. And this is now making me hungry. Thank you, Ian. There's your salad. <laughs> As you increase the threshold, it becomes only, it only is at least 20% certain that those things are in it. Salad, cabbage, lettuce, and cucumber. Mm -hmm. And then we have, I'm not sure what it's showing. Oh, more salad. This one doesn't, this one had the tomatoes. The previous one didn't have the tomatoes. Okay. Yeah, I see that. There we go. Salad, cucumber. And it's, it, it's pretty quick. The way it generally works is that the first time you load the model, it can be a little slow. Okay. Uh, you might have to wait two or three minutes. That's why it also made a lot of sense to make these as videos. Everything uh -huh. you're seeing is in real time, but sometimes when you initially load the model, it might take a minute or two in order to actually fully load the model the first time you run it. And it does display that as a little message there. Okay. Okay. That makes sense because models need time. So, and then after that, you can just keep uploading different images and then... Right. No, yeah, that's the thing is that you, in practice, the goal of this is to then create workflows where you can then use these programmatically to feed it a whole lot of stuff. And yeah. just, but this is the uh, initial thing. Okay, you ready? Let's try. For one. Let's try. The, let's try uh, people? people detect this. This one's called YOLO. All right. Remember YOLO? You only look once. The idea oh. of this. Previously, detectors had two tasks. It had to both identify a box around something and also identify with confidence the contents of that box. Okay. We had to do two separate tasks in order to identify it. Whereas YOLO, you only look once, does it all in a single pass, and it's quite okay. advanced. This is one of the the more modern models. This is only, I think it was originally announced in 2015, but there have been a lot of iterations and improvements on YOLO. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and people can... see it's, it's able to really grab a lot of, it's noticing a lot of people here. Yeah. 
And people in the audience can play with this for free. They can just jump yep. in. And- the only thing you have to do is is register. So you, you, know, you register at clarify.com, you log in, and then to get to this, you go to clarify.com slash explore. We'll make sure that the instructions are fully... Uh, yes. It was, like I said, I was able to do it really easily. And I'm not a programmer. I'm just intuitively quick around. This was just to show that it's aware that a skeleton is not a person. <laughs> Sorry, like it isn't just recognizing that it's a face with, with glasses on. It actually <laughs> can tell. It, it gets, we're almost at the funny part. Okay, we're at the celebrity model now. It's through the celebrity, all right. I was a little disappointed because we, we it, it's trained on some like 10 or 20,000 celebrities, but all of my favorite celebrities, it didn't have weird Al Yankovic. I was really disappointed, but it <laughs> with very high confidence. And once you lower it down, if you stop it there, you'll see these are all of the, it's fine. It's fine. It, it, I was just showing that the initial, it does give a list of, of celebrities that they, but only the top one had like a 99%. Uh, the rest were really, yeah. So if you want to have fun too, you can upload your own face to see, to see if you have any uh, 0.01% resemblance to any registered celebrity we have. So. Yeah. Or if you are a celebrity, let's see, maybe, maybe I'll recognize you. Yeah, if I was building this model, I'd definitely get my own face in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, part of the reason this is funny is that it will. A lot of these machine learning language models are based on select on, on publicly available data sets, and because celebrity photos are the most common, a yeah. lot of them are built with celebrity imagery, okay. and it can be a little bit funny. Like I, I had a, some friends who just always get pigeonholed, shall we say, as the same person because they look like vaguely like a celebrity. There's something on, on TikTok, I think, where it tries to see which celebrity you look like. I wonder if there's similar. Yeah, you can get this by making by lowering the the threshold as low as possible to see what you look like. We thought it'd be fun to make a game out of it, but it, it actually the model was a little too good. It was. Oh my it was, god! When I tried it with me, I was like, "Come on, I must look like somebody." And like, well, no. You know. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try it. All right, we're off to captions. This is where I think we could have the most fun, and I think this is uh, definitely one of the more interesting. This is the multimodal thing where you can give it a picture and it tries to come up with a caption. So this is okay. absolutely, this is one of my favorite. This is oh. fairly new. So as you see, it actually got pineapple in a sunglasses on a bed. Now, obviously we could ideally not have us could be in sunglasses on a bed, but the fact that it got that and it was absolutely not trained on these things. So this oh, is a photo I took in Antarctica. Okay. I, I threw in some Antarctica. A seal yawning in the sea. I was fairly impressed by how well it did that. Yeah, that's really cool. Wow. On a trip that I took to Antarctica. A large iceberg floating off the coast. Okay. It's really quick and really accurate. I love it's it. It's very good. It's And then this was Florida. This was, again, that's not... Like that, was really, that's, that was actually what the sky looked like that day. Oh, wow. That's really pretty. pretty wild. Palm tree silhouetted against the sunset. So usages like this, you can see why this would be very useful for people with vision problems if it was given that screen readers could use this for... Yes. And this is my backyard. I thought that was your front yard. All right. Crocodile up. That's what you called it? Crocodile up. Yeah. Hug wearing glasses and a bow tie. And I was like... Where's the bow tie? There's no bow tie, but she <laughs> was wearing a sweater. Try to be a little... It's not perfect. I thought this one was funny. Person, a group of people dressed as bananas. I was like, <laughs> it actually got that right. I was blown away by that, that it actually knew a group of people. And then here again, a skeleton in a suit. Okay, so good. It doesn't think it's a person. That's good. Oh, that's it really doesn't funny. think it's a person. No. Those, those ones are, are fun. The uh, the caption, I think, are probably the ones that are the most interesting ones for people to send in. Yes. So we're up to product. Uh, product reviews. This is So these are NLP models. 
Okay. Uh, now, this is just a review off of Amazon. Of I just picked a random product. It's an uninterruptible power supply. I was looking for a bad review. So I think I found this. Run away. A random bad review without even the title. I click raw text and hit submit. And as you see, 83.5% it thought it was a one-star review. I tried to then find a five-star review. I think it has a 500-word limit for these things. So it, okay. I may have had to trim them down in some places. I'm not sure. One of these, it was a five-star, but it thought it was a four-star. Yeah, this, this one, I guess it saw some... Well, it, this fifth one, it, it definitely... Or one of these, I found that had a shorter five-star review. And there we go. There's a five-star review. Huh, hi, maybe the word highly recommend. Yeah, it's tricky because NLP can be very tricky because you have stuff like, I don't recommend this or I I don't like this I, or I, I don't want to say I don't recommend this. Language can be very tricky and there's and, a lot of uh, research that's gone into to figuring out stuff like sentiment analysis because especially with negation and whatnot, it can be very tricky. It isn't like you can just take, these are the words in the sentence and assemble them, okay, this is a negative sentence. I know, sometimes you'll see a review like, oh, I, I don't want to recommend this person as a coach because I want them all to myself. So mm -hmm. it's like a bad review, but it's actually a really good review. So it's interesting yeah. to see. A movie review. I thought this was going to be a really stupid movie, but it was not. Like everything in that is negative, but yeah, I know. actually a positive review. So it's uh, it's an example why word order and everything, it's a very deep field of, of research. So right. got, I think summarization was the next one. Yep, we've got two left, guys. So we've got summarization. Let's see this one. So provide well, this was uh, this was who's on first the uh, the old sketch by uh, Abbott and Costello familiar with this this is the whole I just took the first part of it and as you see well you could have to pause it but basically it's it it summarizes the idea is that it has a whole conversation here mm -hmm. and then it, it summarized it into basically saying they gave me a job as a coach as long as you're on the team if you're the coach you must all the players they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar name like Dizzy so this is actually a very interesting thing because there are two types of summarization. If you had to summarize something as a student, there's like the lazy way, and there's like the way you're supposed to probably do it. And the lazy way is just to look through it and find like a single one or two sentences in the actual body, just take those and paste them. And that's yeah. called extractive summarization. And that is something that some models do. They just look for what they think are the most useful sentences in a body of text. And then something like this is abstract summarization in which it actually goes through the text and it generates its own text. And wow. so this, this stuff is a little bit more advanced and I think it's pretty cool. It's very useful if you have to, a lot of news, summarizing news articles, or if you have a large website, like a single page, and you just want a little blurb to put next to a link, you could do it, use it for that. It's lots of little... I would totally use this for... So these sessions that you and I are doing now, my, my Tuesday dedicated show, I get a transcript of this conversation and it would be great like to create show notes oh, yeah, for stuff like that i'm going to keep playing I I one more i took uh, whatever i loaded into word counter there was it, it had to be under 500 words if you hit play which one was it oh this is just this is a news article about a, another container ship getting stuck. okay okay yeah i wanted to continue on though there's another one another evergreen ship got stuck oh my god so if you pause it here Okay. So, so basically what it's done is it's read all this and like how it let where the ship went and where I was going to and all that. And it summarized it to the ever forward ran aground in Chesapeake Bay, March 13th and rode to Norfolk straight from the usual shipping lanes, two pulling barges and six tugboats free the ship around 7 a.m. Eastern time. The ship will be towed to the Annapolis Anchorage grounds for inspection. The news release says. So it really did do a, a good job. But that was just a, a random 
part of a news article, I just trimmed part of it off because it, it just only currently accepts 500 words. But that's yeah. another great example of how you can use it to shorten your text. Sounds like a police report. It's like, this yeah. happened. <laughs> let me let it run. And then, okay, so that was it. And then we've got one more little demo. Uh, this is the Ian labeled this one as romance. I called so it romance. It's, it's a romance language translator. <laughs> now, obviously, we all have access and have seen Google Translate and know how amazing it is and whatnot. And so the main reason about showing this is just that you can use this in concert with our other models. The idea being you could take one of our models, for example, that reads handwriting. You could right. pull the handwriting out, pass it into this. It translates it into another language and then puts it out. It's more just to show that we do have the, capa uh, the capability for all kinds of translation as well. And mm -hmm. it didn't even, this particular one, because it's the romance, the romance translator, it can, you just put in whatever language, uh, romance languages. I think I did it in, I think I did it in Italian, uh, Spanish, Portuguese, and French. Let's see, we got some Let's see, let's see. Here, Here we go. Italy. Okay. Too so those weird. are the languages. Those are, so it, it's, uh, there's a lot of the ES ones are all Spanish. The BR ones are sorry, the PT are all Portuguese. Okay. So trying to so you have to click raw text if if you want to type it in, and this is the, the Italian. Me, this is the Italian one. So I like artificial okay. intelligence. And then we'll try try another one here. I don't remember what I wrote. It's muy divertida. It's fun to play with. There we go. I I know Spanish, so I was trying to get that one. And then all this right. is Portuguese. You can recognize words me. Okay, very cool. How do you know all these languages? I got hit by a car in Mexico many years ago, and then I married a Venezuelan. And il y a aussi un pamplemousse dans la fenêtre. Deux pamplemousse. So then this is just being silly because I grew up in Canada where we all have to learn French and everything is about pamplemousse, which is grapefruits. Okay. <laughs> all right, so it's able to do all that. That's really cool. This is really fun. And this is something that everyone can go and play with. And that's my favorite. Yeah, exactly. Part. And there are, you'll find there are other ones. There are ones that I didn't do just because of time. There's yeah. a financial a sentiment analysis, for example. Like you can literally put financial news and it'll just tell you, is this good, bad, or neutral? So that that's one facial sentiment stuff. For, for certainly for the models, one of the tricks that I need to make sure that is documented well is to some of the face models require a cropped face. So if you give it like a picture of a full person standing there, it's going to think the whole thing is a face and try to analyze it and it gives weird results. Oh, okay. So I, I need to make sure that the way that that's dealt with properly is through workflows. So a workflow mm -hmm. would take, for example, a picture of me standing outside. It would take that picture. It would use a face detector, find my face. Right. Then it would pass that to another model that would crop my face and just take out the face part and then take that face part and give it to a model that would then perform whatever it wanted out to on that. It might do sentiment analysis. It might say how old I am, but sentiment will say if I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I'm neutral. The workflows are not displaying their results completely. They do work, but they didn't make for a good demo and I can certainly help anybody who wants to try them out. You just have to look at the JSON. It puts out a whole bunch of uh, computer code that has all of the information in it. But okay. there are a lot of models that we have. I think there's... It's like, I'd have to check how many there are. There's 30 or 40 of them. And this was just a sampling to have some fun with the, especially yeah. with the image captioning ones. Yes, yes. And I definitely had fun because I, I remember I picked the food one because I'm like, okay, I like food and I have pictures of food all the time. I take a lot of photos. And then when I played around with it, it was literally a couple of clicks. So it was really simple. I, I never got lost. But if anyone does get lost, you can let myself or Ian know and we can help you around and, and show you where you went wrong, or maybe if there's a special way to use one of the models. But it's time to tell people about the competition, Ian. So first of all, 
Wow. Right. We'll start with a giveaway. So the competition is going to start officially today after I send the newsletter and the email. But for those who are live with us, you get a little bit more information in terms of how this actually works and what you need to do. So Ian, I know we're like way over time. This was supposed to be 45 minutes, but this was just so much fun. Yeah. Any last words for the competition participants? Any words of encouragement? What should they do? Just have fun. Be original. I personally love the captioning image, especially it's, it's the captioning obviously doesn't get things right every single time. So if it does get something wrong, I mean, I took a picture of myself once from years ago where I'm like doing this in the air and it gave me the caption like the resident is unhappy with the hot air balloons. And I was like, that is very funny, but anything creative, anything fun. Yeah, it's fine. And in terms of to contact us, I guess it's going to go out in the email, but you can contact me directly on LinkedIn. I'm, I will have my accounts. I do run all of the Clarify social accounts. So if you tweet at Clarify or message us on Facebook or message us on LinkedIn or post on our, I'm, I'm the one who's usually uh, receiving them. And okay. we, do have a, we do have a Slack channel as well that we'll put the link to there. And the Slack channel is by far the best place to get uh, any information from the whole companies. Basically, mm-hmm. if you message me and I don't know the answer, I'm going to have to pass it on. If you message the Slack chat, I can literally just give people links or there are multiple engineers who monitor that. So okay. have a, that is a definite way to get any kind of technical help. I'll make sure to include the Slack channel in both the email and newsletter so folks can, can okay. find it then. All right. Well, this was so much fun. Uh, I can't wait to announce the competition officially all over LinkedIn and, and Twitter and see everyone's participation. Just another quick side note, even if it gets it wrong, what Ian described about him doing this and it being like an re- unhappy resident with a hot air balloon or something, feel free to post that too. It doesn't have to be perfect. We just want to see what comes out of this. So this is going to be fun. Yeah. The main goal of this is to get people, we're obviously looking for people to register and get in, get involved and also to just have fun and get the word out. That's really all we're trying to do. Yeah. Raising awareness of computer vision. I think that's very kind of you to help the community out this way. Because I, I learned a lot too, looking at the pre-trained models and looking at what's possible. And those demos were extremely helpful. Ian, thank you very much for Pleasure. being on the Dedicated Show, guys. Go ahead, follow, clarify, message Ian. He's available all day. He, all the time, I never sleep. He does not sleep. I never leave this room. <laughs> because the crocodiles, obviously, right? That's... I'm surrounded by crocodiles in a room, yes. Awesome. I lo- and horses. Oh, so now I'm thinking of crocodiles fighting horses. But anyways, I'll stop there. Thank you so much for listening to the Dedicated On Air podcast. We really hope you'll come back for more episodes. And until then, stay dedicated.